0: All right, guys, today we've got part two of our interview with Eddie Penny. And if you didn't listen to the previous episode, first of all, what's wrong with you? Why are you listening to the sequel before you listen to part one? But that's okay. Eddie is a retired Navy SEAL, and he spent 12 years in the SEAL teams, and six of those was with the Naval Special Warfare Development Group. And before that, he was in the United States Marine Corps as an infantryman. He's also the CEO and founder of Contingent Group, which was founded in 2013. So that's where he does uh, risk mitigation and security consulting and executive asset protection and a bunch of other stuff. He's also the creator of the Unafraid Mindset, brand which led him to write his brand new book which we talked a lot about yesterday and we will continue that today that is his autobiography called unafraid and again i mentioned this in the last one but his best accomplishment of his entire life is that he was the first guest of this podcast. So I guess he was our first guest and then he came back on an episode 227. He was on the last episode and he's on this one. So that makes it four times. But in this particular podcast or in this version or this section, I guess, rather of the interview that I did with him, we we really dig into the concept of evil because he got to see evil up close while he was serving. Also what it was like losing one of his, one of his best friends in combat. Also the time he had to choose between becoming a single father and, and his career as a top-tier, you know, uh, elite member of the Navy SEAL teams. Also, where he was when Adam Brown was killed. So obviously, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that my favorite book uh, is a book by Eric Blim where he talks about uh, Adam Brown. And uh, it's a book called Fearless, and it's just an incredible book. And he was, you know, good friends with Adam. They served on the same team. And he was not there when Adam was killed. And we get into why that was and how a single decision kept him from being uh, killed on Extortion 17. We dig a lot into that. The moment that President Barack Obama Gained his respect forever And I gained a deep level of respect Whenever I went through this story as well Which was in the book We talk about that here When he met me This old guy right here At a Christian event in Oklahoma Like 10 years ago Or something like that And how he claims That that changed his spiritual life When he decided to leave the military, his personal battle with with thoughts of suicide, which is kind of crazy to get into, his thoughts on manliness inside the church and a bunch of other things. But guys, before we get into that, again, this is a veteran-owned podcast, so we got to talk about one of my favorite veteran-owned companies, and that is Casey Cattle Company. They are the sponsor for today's show. And as I mentioned on the last episode, there are a bunch of different meat delivery subscription services out there. But guys, a lot of them don't have the things in common that I'm about to read off to you. There's only one of these companies that is U.S. military veteran-owned. U.S. military veteran operated and all of their products that they make right? So the beef, the chicken, the pork, all of those are produced here in the United States. That's Casey cattle company. They specialize in Wagyu beef. If you didn't listen yesterday, I talked a little bit uh, about uh, the Wagyu beef and how I heard about Wagyu beef before, but then I really got to experience it with Casey cattle company. And I'll let you go to the last previous one where we talk about Wagyu beef and how it is and all the marbling, but they sent me a bunch of different things. Uh, you know, I made a bone in Wagyu ribeye. It is currently the best steak that I've ever made in my entire life. And I've got a bunch more steaks that they sent me as well bratwurst and hot dogs and their hot dogs are, are technically uh, something just absolutely incredible that they've never really uh well they've they've been acknowledged for because they do sell everything they sell wagyu steaks they sell they sell wagyu roast and pasture raised chicken and pasture raised berkshire pork are, uh you know they have bacon and they've got wagyu bacon cheeseburger bratwurst which are amazing but they are world famous for their hot dogs Like if you didn't know this, they have a Wagyu gourmet hot dog, right? Yeah. I think on their website, it actually says world famous Wagyu gourmet hot dog. So food and wine magazine, they named this the best hot dog in the world. And they even, I thought this was really hilarious. They called it a tube steak because they, they said that this hot dog literally tastes like a steak on a bun. Now I've had some hot dogs before. It doesn't take a whole lot to impress me with a hot dog. These are on another level. It doesn't make sense. Like it literally does not make sense whenever you put it in your mouth and you take a bite and you're just like, wow. Wow. Like it's literally just absolutely flabbergasting. So guys, I want to make sure that you can experience those hot dogs, all their other products on their website. And so that's why we got in touch with them and we were making sure that we can bring this to you guys. So in order to test out their products, you can go to kccattlecompany.com. That's kccattlecompany.com. Use the promo code Kyle to get 15% off of your order. Again, that promo code is just my first name, Kyle. That's K-Y-L-E for 15% off of your order at kccattlecompany.com. All right, guys, let's get into part two with Eddie Penny. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, and it caused you, and you described this in the kilo chapter, it, it, it caused you to not only just think about your own mortality, but it caused you to really think about good and evil like okay how do we understand the difference between good and evil there has to be a moral code with which like how do we know that that guy doing that on the side of the road how do we know that that's a bad thing how do we know that that's not just his preference you know you know his body his choice you can do whatever he wants with his body to whoever else's yeah, body he wants to do it to right like so absolutely so uh, there has to be some sort of standard by which we judge that but you you obviously spent a lot of time dealing with, uh, you know, death that was around you, uh, death, uh, you know, considering your own death and your own mortality. But in chapter Lima of the book, you describe losing, uh, a brother of yours named Luis. And I know this is going to be a hard one for you to talk through. And the reason why I know that, and I'll give you a little bit of time uh, so, so I can set it up uh, the only time you and I've been around each other and we'll describe, uh, you know, the camp you and I were at, uh, a little bit later here in the episode, you and I are sitting down. It's probably two, three, four in the morning at this point, and you describe what I'm happened. Be really sober,
1: yeah. Like, I'm like, like, yeah really this sober. Is, <laughs> this is not. This is not a whiskey trip. This
0: is a water trip, right? And you know, you're describing the situation that happened with uh, Luis, and I'll let you describe whatever details you want to, because you you go into a lot of detail in the book. But basically, because of something that you said. Uh, You told him to go to a certain area. Uh, You yourself went to a different area. Uh, Your life uh, continued, but his did not. Um, and you, the way you were describing it to me again, this Eddie, this was ten years ago when you were describing it to me, was this overwhelming sense of guilt, almost this paternal like guilt that there was something different that you should have done, and if you had done something different, then Luis would still be alive today. But again, we can't really unravel that because it's a, it's something that can't be proved or disproven. Like if if you had zigged at that time, maybe someone else would have zagged and you would have caught a bullet. There's so many different things that that happened. but go into as much of that story as you want to, because for me, uh, of all the things. that that you describe in the book it's the most memorable for me and i guess it's because i, I kind of knew it was coming I, I knew how much this had an impact on you because you and i talked about it so many years ago
1: that was the first chapter done in the book was his chapter okay there you go because it it's like the, the freshest and can still see it on my brain which is kind of funny i don't know if you ever heard of brain spotting i've been doing a lot of brain spotting lately with talk therapy that's kind of like emdr where you're watching the lights but it just mm. uh it's gotten so much better with this specific situation. She's like, do you want to start off with something small? I'm like now we're going for the freaking big kahuna right now. Let's go. Let's. So we started talking about him. Uh, and I'm not going to go crazy in detail. Cause I'm going to save it for some of the readers, but had him move up to the front door. And I went up once I saw the craziness that was happening, I moved up right next to him. So close to my, my left hand was on his right shoulder. Um, and I mean, I can still see the beat of sweat coming down his neck. Cause it was freaking hot as heck in Iraq. And, um, I'm like, there's something inside me, like get away, get away. I've never felt that. Cause I, I've, I've told you this a thousand times on other podcasts and it's in the book of Tom's disease, terrified of missing stuff. And like, I just gotta be in the action. I have to be in the action. Yep. Never have I walked away. I'm like, we'll just risk it. We'll throw the dice and see what happens. Something about that. Just like I didn't, cause there were so many people on top of each other. There was like eight of us. So I'm like, man, if a grenade happens, the building explodes. Like we're screwed. and like, we can't do that, man. Now you're going to leave like six dudes have to take care of eight. Like we're, we're done. So I, there's something in me again that said like, dude, get out, get away, move now. And I just told Louie, I was like, Hey man, moving behind the wall where I came from. I love you. And he's like, I love you too. I got this. And I rolled out soon as I went back, maybe 15, 20 hours wrapped the, uh, the outside gate, the freaking whole building exploded. And the, the pillar that we were, I left him by, there was like a big overhang. It kind of slid down and just crushed him, man. And, um, so yeah, I kind <clears> of, <throat> yeah, I kind of go back to what if the, the, what if, what if game, man? Uh, but I didn't, what if I, it, it is what it is. Unfortunately it wasn't, it was the wrong call. I wish I did not say that. So yeah, I live Like that keeps me up at night still. It hurts. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that, that just kind of grew inside me and, you know, I didn't become softer as the wars went on with that, you know, behind me, but that was, that was, that was rough, dude. That was a, that was probably my number one and there's been a lot of losses, but that's probably been my biggest one just because of what I told him right before. And I was just right there and I questioned myself like, why, why him, not me? Why do I still breathe? He doesn't? like, what makes us different? Why? what I, so many unanswered questions, and they're not for, they're not for me to know. They're not for me to know.
0: So, Eddie, after our late night conversation or early morning conversation years and years ago, if I had to put one word that would could be stamped on that conversation that would define that conversation, it would be guilt. you You obviously you were like soaked. you were marinated in this guilt over that decision and over his death. And so today. I do you still feel like you were responsible? Do you still feel like you you bear responsibility for that? Like, do you still feel guilty over that? Because it's been a long time since we talked about it. It's been a long time since you lost him. Do you still feel it?
1: It's also been a long process, but um, not as bad as I used to. It's still it still lingers. I still question. I'm like, why'd you do that? Why do you say I, I, I can't help it, man? I didn't, I've tried every freaking therapy known to mankind. I'm trying it all. Still doing it to this day. Uh, it, dude, it's a, it's a tough freaking pill to swallow, but what I have done is I've been able to look at his life as what positives he brought into mind, how I'm a better person because of him, how he was legendary, but yeah, at the same time, man, it's still hard. It's still rough. I can't be like, no, I, yeah, everything's good. It, yeah, it is what it, I, I just, I, I have a hard time saying those words cause I still feel a little piece of it there. Well,
0: I'm going to tell you something similar before we move on to what I told you that night. And again, you know, it was as much wisdom as I could muster when I'm like 24 or 25 years old uh, when we had that first conversation. But it's just like, you, it's not your fault that somebody evil did something evil, right? Correct. Because the amount of evil that you have taken out of the world is considerable. And we know what would happen if you knew that that was going to happen? We know that you would have got him out of there and not just yourself. Like we know that, but you can't beat yourself up over the things that are completely outside of your control. And I know, you know, that intellectually, but uh, hopefully as the years go on, that you'll internalize that even more. And I know you're on that path. So I'm not telling you. Yeah. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. Um, But to get into uh, another difficult subject that's in kind of a different side of things, you know, talked about this in chapter, Mike, you go into great detail about kind of the erratic behavior uh, of your wife at the time, uh, who's the mother of your children. You had three children at the time. uh, And it led you to probably make the toughest call that you've had to make up to that point in your life. You literally had to choose between becoming a single father and your career as an elite Navy SEAL. So uh, you were... It seems like an impossible decision and not both at the same time, but you, you go into all the detail as to the specifics around that case. So we don't have to get into that here. But take us through that decision process because you're about to deploy again with your team. I, I forget it. Maybe it was your fifth or sixth deployment or something like that. But instead, you say, No, I'm a single father of three. So take us through that.
1: Yeah, it was it was all my eighth deployment. Actually, no, it would it would have been my it would have been my sixth deployment. You're right. It was it was a deployment that Adam Brown passed, and uh, I couldn't go to. I was supposed to go to Afghanistan. So I couldn't go because I got custody of my children, and uh, holy life changing events. <laughs> like I was like my life's over. Um, I'll, like so many so many things. And again, if you, if you notice as I'm talking, I'm like me, 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 me. It's it's not about me. It's not about me. And it took me some some time to figure that one out. But it was about those three kids. Those three kids saved my life. Um, another touchy subject. Sorry. Yeah, it was a, it was an adjustment. I had to learn how to be a father uh, from going overseas constantly to all I cared about was myself, the team, the team, the SEAL teams and getting bad guys to now I got to do pigtails. I got to make breakfast. I got to pack lunches. We got these things called school dances. What's a, what's a daddy, like daddy daughter dance. What, like, what, what do we do here? Like just learn, yeah. like totally out of my element, not knowing what's going on, not knowing how to act, not having emotion. Didn't even know what emotion was. I remember my kids talking to me. I'm like, dude, you're fine. Let's go. You got this. Like just, just things that we, we I mean, if you were an outsider, if I was an outsider, I'd be like, no, stop. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> like, or don't act that way. I just didn't know, um, what I was doing, man, I was just a, again, a freaking kid, I, I, a child in a freaking grown up's body. I didn't, I wasn't, um, I was an absent father, man. I, I was. And then I was kind of forced into the role of like, all right, now your mom and your dad, mm-hmm. it's time. And I just gradually learned it wasn't easy. The drinking got worse, uh, the pill popping got worse. I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about boys overseas. I was thinking about my life. I'm like, this sucks, kind of. I'm thinking about, like, I don't even know how to handle these kids. Like, what am I supposed to do with these guys tomorrow? I didn't know what to do with them. Like, what? Mm-hmm. like here's food. All right. You want to eat again? Like, what? I don't, how do we hang out? You know what I mean? Like, so you just kind of expand and, you know, started reading books and learning and listening and um, started dabbling into church a little bit because I needed something. And, um, but that was the toughest and best time of my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a big maturity pill that you had to swallow at the time. The thing that was sure. great uh, about sure. your command is your command kind of came around you and. Oh, they there do it, you dude,
1: the yeah. freaking have- <laughs> leadership man, amazing.
0: Yeah, they knew how close you were to deployment. And they're like, no, you got to take care of this and all those different things. But again, that was the deployment, as you mentioned, that Adam Brown was killed on. And so anyone that's listened to this podcast for any length of time, they know that my favorite book of all time is the book Fearless by Eric Blinn That's about the life of Adam Brown and just an incredible, incredible person. But this is obviously your SEAL brother and you weren't there with him. And presumably you would have been on that same mission where he was killed in Afghanistan. And so you're not on deployment because you're at home with your kids. And then you get the phone call that Adam had had been killed by by these terrorists. So, I mean, take us through that. What was that like? Because it's not the first time you had gotten a phone call like that, but you were supposed to be there. It's obviously very different.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would have been on that exact mission, but I would have been overseas with him. Um, and, and who knows if whatever. But I, just not being over there in country, uh, it didn't, I, I didn't like it. It sucked. It was horrible. And not the match, a freaking toughest nailed dudes with just like, talk about a no quit freaking attitude, man. The guy is like tough as nails and I uh, lost his life and it was just like, holy crap, like dang it. And it, you know, it's just, it made, it made you think, it kind of makes you think when I heard that news and uh, my team leader called me, I remember just freaking sitting there taking shots. Cause that's what we do when people, you know, pass as we take shots and remembrance. Uh, but Dude, It's just a lot of self-reflection when you can't go off, you know, usually you can stay busy by, by going on mission, by going on mission. But when you're back home with the kids, there's a lot of time to think and a lot of, a lot of time for the devil to slip his little evil ways into your brain. And he did that for sure. I got uh, played.
0: Yeah. It, it was, it was a rough time for you. Obviously you and I've talked about that, uh, uh, individually before we talked about that in the book uh just a crazy time and that's something that a lot of people have had to deal with is how do they how do they respond to that type of a situation right. and it just kind of goes back to, there's always these little decisions that can, you know, irrevocably change your entire life, you know, missing that one shot, you know, deciding that you wanted to go into the military, deciding to become a single father and all those different things. But there was another decision in chapter Oscar of your book. Um, and it was to join one team as opposed to another team. And, uh, had you made a different decision, you and I would have never met this would likely, uh, this conversation certainly isn't happening, uh, mm-hmm. because you discuss how that single decision likely saved your life because it kept you from being one of the people that was killed during extortion 17. So there's a lot of information out there about extortion 17, but on that uh, particular mission, uh, you know, a one in a million shot by a terrorist, uh, RPG hit a helicopter, killed 38 men, uh, 15 members of the development group, two other seals, five NSW support personnel, three air force special operators, five army uh, flight crew members, one military working dog, and also seven Afghan commandos and one interpreter. Um, the biggest loss of life, uh, to the spec ops, uh, community, I think up to that point. And since then, uh, obviously, uh, the tier one, uh, loss of those types of people, the, the, you know, just the experience that was lost all in that moment, you could have very easily been there, but you weren't. So you, you go into the decision there, but, you know, let's talk about that a little bit because I know August 6th every year for you, that's a rough day uh, mm-hmm. because you, you have to remember all those people Shut that up. you came up through uh, in mm-hmm. training. And again, like for me, that's my birthday. And then it's it's kind of a weird thing for me because I'm so close with a lot of you guys that were in and around those guys as well. And it's just like, man, it, it's a horrible day. And it's a day that's either spent at Arlington or wishing you were at Arlington uh, to be with the guys that that have been buried there. But, you know, take me through a little bit of that and, and kind of the aftermath of Extortion 17.
1: So that was my seventh deployment, I believe, and Jason was uh, in that troop. And like I was – I got – my kids went away uh, for summer vacation, so they went with their mom. So our my old command or my old unit was deploying like a week or two later. So I was like, hey, can I jump on this? They're like, sure. So I started training up for it, you know, about two or three months before we were going out the door just to like, you know, hone in on my skills – and I was like, man, that'd be cool to like, I was always I just like a, just to jump in. I didn't have a role. I was just like an extra shooter. So I was like, man, I'll just jump in with Jason. And we were about to bring it up. Like, Hey, let's, uh, let's try to get you over here and not go with your old guys. And like, we we're like, we we're going to bring it up to our command and try to get so I could deploy with them. Cause we never really got to do a deployment at that command together. Cause he was a breacher. I was a breacher. So we're, you know, you're separated. So I just like thought about, I was like, man, you know what, dude, I was like, I got to go with my old guys. Like I said, we didn't even bring it up. Uh, We didn't push for it. And I just, I just made that decision. Like I need to be with my team where that's where I think I belong. The heart said, that's where you need to go. And um, luckily that was my decision. Unluckily that happened, man. It's a, it's a, it's a tragedy. It sucks. And there is a lot of controversy around that. Bottom line is what I've said on many podcasts is those studs, those warriors, those legends are here no longer. And uh, remember them for the greatness that they brought to my life. Like, that's all I could do. That's, that's yeah. it. Yeah
0: yeah it's not a I don't really want to waste a whole lot of time on the conspiracy theories as to why yeah. uh, those men were killed and all those different things oh it was a surface to air missile and like I don't really want to get into all that because there's I, it's just not worth the time it's the same thing like arguing with a 9-11 truther it's like okay the best kept secret in the history of the ever there had to have been thousands of people involved for that to be an inside job but sure you watch one documentary made by some dork in his mother's basement and all of a sudden <laughs> you, know, you know more than the rest of us but um, there was something in that chapter because uh, for anyone that's listening to this podcast podcast. We're well over 300 episodes at this point. I've never had a good thing to say. That's about awesome, President- dude. By the way, that's yeah.
1: awesome. That's good well, thank stuff, you very brother. Much. Hey,
0: you're in the podcast world I now, so it. I know you know how difficult this is. It um, is. So I, I appreciate that. But for those that have listened, I have never had a good thing to say about President Barack Obama. I, I've never had a good thing to say about that guy. More about That is, But that changes now because of something that you wrote about in your book, because this This kind of hurt my personal narrative that he hated the military and he hated all these different people because after extortion 17, you guys are bringing the bodies uh, back there. They're kind of coming through. I forget which base it was and everything like that. And President Obama uh, was was there. And there's a quote from the book that, you know, is going to it's going to tint how I view that man for the rest of my life. So I'm glad Mm -hmm. that you put that in there. Here's the quote. As the flag draped caskets were carried off, we all gathered and watched. It was a stifling August day and the president stood in the hangar in a business suit at rigid attention. His right hand held in a crisp hand salute for the more than 45 minutes that it took to unload the caskets. There were no TV cameras. By showing his respect to those men, he earned hours. So again, to any of you guys like just go stand in the middle of your yard right now because it's 100 plus degrees right now in Oklahoma. Stand there at attention, rigid attention, in a suit, head to toe, you know, saluting and just to go do that. Like, it, that's a hard thing to do physically and mentally. But this man did that when he knew there was no benefit to him politically, that it wasn't going to make uh, the cover in New York Times. It wasn't going to be uh, put out there on Twitter with a special hashtag or anything like that. But he showed you and your teammates a deep level of respect. And you only get that from a deep sense of patriotism, which is something that I've questioned about that man uh, since he's left office and while he was in office. And so I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I wanted to make sure I read that on the show just to be fair to that man, because I, I think that that does deserve a deep level of respect.
1: Yeah. I, I, again, I'm not a fan of him at all. I'm not big on his policy protocols and I'm still not a fan of him now, but I'll tell you in that day, in that moment, and I'm, I'm going on three days, no sleep at that time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stand there like that. I was done. I was hungry. I was hangry. I was miserable. I was I was mad at the world. I was mad at him. I didn't like him because this isn't my first time dealing with him uh, for other operations. So, but seeing him do that, I mean, he he made sure he shook every single person's hand, every single person's hand, and I was like, man, I I really respect that, even though I don't like the dude that much at all. Uh, but he he stood there, and it was hot, it was miserable, it was sweaty, it was gross, and the dude, he didn't break, he didn't break. It wasn't he didn't show any yeah. signs of like this sucks, this I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to be here. I like straight face, no emotion. I was like, all right, man, like I got to give it to you, dude. Like I got to give it to, I got to give it to him. I do. Yeah. Uh,
0: again, I don't see another narrative other than deep levels of patriotism, why somebody would do that. That's why I've told people before, they're like, oh, so you know, what would you say to him if you ever met him? I was like, I would shake his hand and say, hello, Mr. President. Thank you for serving our country for eight years. Uh, Thank you for being here, whatever event that we're at. Right, And I would just leave it there because I don't care if I didn't vote for the guy. He's still my president, like Mm -hmm. our current president or co-president, however you view him. You know, he he was elected, sort of, kind of, I guess. And you know, he's 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 in that title, and like, he deserves our respect, even though I disagree with everything that he does and everything to that point. Uh, and in that same chapter where you talk about extortion seventeen, you talk about Barack Obama, you talk about how you kind of realize, hey, this is this is going to be my last deployment, uh, and that leads that led you to a chapter Papa, where you, you decided, hey, it's time to leave the teams. You kind of take us all through that. Um, you know, you talk about some of the first jobs you got. You were doing some recruiting, and you were doing some different things, uh, but you're still at this point trying to figure out what does life look like on the other side of a military career? Cause I think uh, what was it? 12 years in the seals, six uh, years with development group. Was that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so at that, at that point, yeah. Yeah. So long career, but you're getting out uh, and because of some unique circumstances that you go into in the book, you find yourself uh, in some random park in the middle of summer in Oklahoma at a Christian men's retreat. And to say <laughs> this point in your life, to, Eddie, to say this point in your life, that you could have thought of a million other places that you would have rather have been at that moment. That would be an understatement. So you found yourself there again, we don't have to get into the circumstances, but there's a quote from that chapter where you describe this. You say this as the weekend progressed, I became envious of the peace that these men had found. I am a prideful SOB who would never ask for it, but I hungered for someone to pray for me. So guys, this is a, you know, this is a camp that's modeled off of John Eldridge's wild at heart. Again, John Eldridge is a great uh, friend of the show and friend of mine personally, a great mentor. Mine, And so this organization had kind of, you know, built out this three, four day weekend with all this fun stuff, but you know, all these things that kind of go into the wild at heart book. So there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of things happening in these guys, but then you talk about some stuff that you said at a campfire. So at this camp, guys would write some stuff on a piece of paper. Then they would talk to everyone about the stuff that they wrote down. They throw it into the fire. It's real dramatic, blah, blah, blah. But then you say this. So we're going to go back to the book here. A young man in his early twenties approached me and told me what I'd said was awesome and asked how I was feeling. I'm good, dude. I told him he then asked if he could pray for me. I was a little, I was a little taken aback here. I was a 30 something seal combat veteran. And this kid was bold enough to walk up to me with confidence. He definitely had stones. Still, I agreed since I'd waited for just such an opportunity or just such an offer as the weekend progressed. So spoiler alert, that young man in his early twenties with stones, that was me. (laughs) I go back to that night because like, I don't yeah, think I was. knew at this point, I didn't, I don't think I knew that you were a seal. I don't think I knew anything about you personally. I don't think we had talked to one another, but I saw something interesting happen. So everyone's kind of doing their dramatic, you know, writing on a piece of paper, throwing it into the fire. You did your thing and everybody's saying it. And then when the, something happened and the emotion of that circle with all those men, cause there's probably 90 dudes around yeah, that fire, a maybe a hundred yeah. dudes. The, the emotion got ratcheted up a little bit and you walked away and I was like, nope, that's not happening. There's something <laughs> happening here. And again, I'm 24, 25 years old, something like that. And I'm like, I don't know who that dude is. Like, I don't care about his tattoos. Like I'm, no, I need to talk to that guy. And so I, I leave the circle and you know, here we are, you know, there it's dark and everything like that. And I stopped you. Hey, how you doing? Like, Hey, let, let me pray for you. Cause I didn't know what you were dealing with, but I didn't think you were walking away. Cause you had to go number two. Right. And I ended up being right on that. So, so take me back to, to that moment for you, because as you admitted on, on episode 100, you, you kind of give me credit, which I, I I do not accept, but you kind of give me credit for helping usher you into Christianity. And all I did was ask if I could pray for you. So let's go back there.
1: I think that kind of just goes back to obedience. It's like, okay, why'd you stop me? You just said you yep. were kind of prompted to, uh, you could easily, not a lot of guys would have done that in my opinion. Uh, but you did, and when you when you did that, because I was in my head only saying I would really like someone to pray for me because something's going on. I see guys getting prayed for; they're crying, then they're smiling. This doesn't add up. What's going on? I'm missing. I'm missing a big picture here. And you did that, and I started tearing up. I started losing it. I, I don't know if you remember that. Like I, I, I was, I was getting taken out, in, in the best possible way. Uh, so that was just like one of those things that happened that weekend. Like because I'm over here testing. You know, we're not supposed to do that, they say. But, dude, I'm testing everything. Like, oh, really? I want this. Oh, this is true. Like, and, and and I didn't say have someone pray for me or else. It was just like saying, like, I wish somebody would pray for me. And everything that I would say that about was, like, coming true. And things that I didn't even think about were happening. And I'm like, man, this is just all too much for a thing we call a coincidence because there's, there's no such thing in my mind. And uh, it was just – it was one of those things that was like one of those layers of like, dude, this is, this is real deal. Cause I gotta be honest with you, man. I, I didn't, uh, I thought a lot of people were quacks when I got there. I, I, I did like, that's just the truth. I don't yep. feel that way anymore. Now I'm called the quack, and I'm like, thank you. I'm good with it. I'll <laughs> quack more. <laughs> no,
0: but you bring up a really good point, and I think you use the word obedience. So that's something that I'm that I'm trying to get better at when I feel God's prompting to just go ahead and do it. Like it doesn't matter how much, like if you're going to be late for whatever the next thing is, like just just talk to that person, do the thing. And here's the thing, guys, is you give me a little shout out in your book. That's great. You told me about this later on on a podcast interview about how I helped you, and all that's great. What if you didn't? What if that was the last time I ever heard from Eddie Penny? And one day I would be like, I wonder whatever happened with that guy. And then I just moved on. Now you and I have kept a friendship going. So obviously it's different. I kind of know what that happened, but the same impact will have been had regardless of whether or not I knew that it happened. Right. you can ask someone to pray for them. Like that's something that I do before I, I, you know, when the the server comes up to your table, gives you your food and says, is there anything else I can grab you? And it's like, I always have a habit of like, Hey, we're about to bless our meal. Is there anything that we can pray, be praying for you about?
1: That's right. And it's like, I like that that. May, I like that. that
0: may not have any impact. No one's ever, you know, poured water in my face or hit me or anything like that. The, the worst case scenarios are like, no, I can't really think of anything right now. But other times it's like, they immediately get, start getting upset. Like, yeah, my, my, my grandmother just got diagnosed with cancer. It looks like she's terminal. And you know, this, this is, you know, I'm just trying to make ends meet for my family right now. That's why I picked up a second shift for today. Right. And like they needed to unload that burden on somebody. And all you did was said, yes, Lord, I will ask them if I can pray for them. So if you hear that little whisper in your ears, guy, that little bitty whisper, go talk to that guy. Cause you know what I could have done? I could have said, I think that guy can bench more than me. He's probably fine. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> He, he looks good. Like, he doesn't look like he's in a medical emergency. Uh, he oh, he just needs to be alone. Lord, I, I know you're telling me to go talk to him, but he looks like he could really use some alone time to process his feelings. And again, the trajectory of your life changed because of obedience. Not because I'm special, but because Jesus used an imperfect, you know, God used an imperfect vessel to, to communicate with somebody in a way that they needed in that moment. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. It's funny you just said about... Uh praying and we don't like praying for someone before a meal and we don't have a way to measure like what that does. My pastor was over at the house. We do marriage counseling, um, every other week, just like preemptive to make sure we're, we're doing the right things. Yeah. And, uh, we, we talked about this yesterday is like, we, we were talking about suicides, like, uh, the transitioning veterans. Cause we're kind of helping out with that. It's like, we hear about suicides, right? We hear about like the number I think going around is 22 a day, right? 22 suicides a day. But, but one thing we can't measure that I don't think we can measure and that we never hear about is how many times do we put out good word, the message of God, positive vibes, great inspirational things that stop somebody from suicide? We don't get that number. I guarantee it's way more than 22. I promise you. It is way more. So those praying for someone, we don't know what it's going to do. Man, that, that – So and and that's not our it's not our job to know. It's not even our business. Like, he'll take care of that. But just being obedient, doing the things that you're supposed to do. uh, That's it. Like that is 100%. It is like, it's just do the right thing. And trust me, it's being carried forth. It's being carried on. It's good.
0: Right. And it goes back to mindset, which you've talked about a lot, but it's interesting you bring up suicide because that's kind of what I wanted to get into next because in the Sierra chapter, you have uh, this quote. And again, like, I know you pretty well and I didn't know that, that you went through this, so I'm glad you shared it. But here's the quote. My mind became consumed with the thoughts, with those thoughts. And one day I decided that enough was enough. For the first time in my life, I was ready to quit. I'd endured the toughest training and selection events that the military had to offer, but the combined weight of my fears and stresses had me wanting to ring the bell on my life. So any of you guys that know anything about BUDS, obviously, whenever you quit BUDS, you ring the bell three times, you set your helmet down uh, and and you get out of there, you go back to wherever you're, you're supposed to go. And so in that chapter, you described uh, the pistol that you were gonna use, you described how it felt in your hand, uh, the weight of it. Um, and almost as quickly as the thought of suicide entered your mind, you snapped to and made the lifelong decision that you were never going to go back to that dark place and you give credit to satan for for kind of getting you to that point where you here you are sitting on your bed you know this is after you know the 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 christian camp this is after you dedicating your life to christ this is after all that and you were still in the darkness and in that moment Satan was more worried about you than he ever has been, uh, because he hasn't had to worry about you for most of your life because you were completely out of it. You, you, you had taken yourself out of the spiritual realm and conversation. So take us through that a little bit, because I've talked about suicide on this podcast before. I've talked about my own, uh, intellectual thoughts on suicide, not like emotional, but intellectually like, man, would my family be better off if I wasn't here? I've got all this life insurance money and all that. And I know I'm not the only guy in this, you know, audience that deals with that. I know I'm not the only guy that deals with those, uh, thoughts or we'll deal with it again at some point. So, so talk to those guys, but also just kind of talk through what that situation was like for you.
1: Yeah. I was, uh, have relationship issues, PTSD crap, sleep issues, kid issues, obviously not knowing what to do. Just a very weird spot in my life. Um, I was a newfound Christian, but just like, it seemed like the stuff didn't get easier. It got harder and I wasn't prepared. It's like, it's like having a gun, but no ammunition. Like I wouldn't go overseas without ammunition, body armor, my helmet, all the kind of Ephesians six kind of pops up now, doesn't it? Uh, it it's just, I, I didn't have that stuff. Um, and that's no one's fault but my own. I should have been, you know, training for it, but I just, there I was sitting on my bed. I don't know why, how I got to my bed, but I just had my, my SIG 228 in my right hand resting on my leg, just looking at its side, like a side profile, and uh, here to commit myself, making sure that I've got my finger straight off the trigger and it's pointing in a safe direction, right? Got to do those safety rules Yeah. As I'm about to take my life. It's funny how that works. And um, I just, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, I'm, I can see now and all these thoughts are going in. Like, you don't want to do this. Oh, it's easy. And the ones that are saying, this is the way, this is the way it should be. Like, it's so much better for everyone. Those voices were totally taken out. Are you sure about this? What are you doing? Put down the freaking gun. Uh, and I just snapped to, and I remember seeing like a, like a bird's eye view looking from the sky down and just see my freaking head blown up open with blood everywhere, brain matter everywhere. And seeing my daughters coming in with their backpacks on their back, opening the door and seeing their father lifeless in the, in the, uh, in my bedroom. And, uh, I was like, what am I freaking doing? Like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, like snap to like, whoa. Put my freaking gun down, and I got got my pre workout shake and uh, my freaking gym bag and went to the gym and I stayed there until my kids came home. I, I dude, I can't explain it. It's never happened again. Never happened before. Uh, just in a very dark place. And I guess the takeaway of that is like I've always been the guy that be like, why would somebody do that? Why would you do that? Like that's just weak. And I found myself in that very situation. And thankfully didn't follow through with it. But uh, I can see how people can get to that dark spot with just the over- overwhelming voices of the of the evil one. Just freaking boom, boom, boom. And not having um, – and it should have never got to that point. It should never got to that point, but it did. And uh, I still think about that. I'm like, make sure this never happens. And so when I talk to other people that have those somewhat thoughts, I can empathize with them very well because I get it. I I do get it. Unfortunately, I do get it. But at the same time, it's fortunate that I can have that conversation because, you know, if I'm, if I'm into drugs and I'm shooting, you know, freaking heroin up, the person that's going to get me out of stop doing that is somebody that has been to the bottom barrel doing that heroin. And then this worked for them. They pulled themselves out. Uh, So, you know, I'm not proud to say that, but it's the fact, it's the reality, it's the transparency. That's what happened. and, That was a tough one to put in the book, but I'm like, dude, I'm always about transparency. I'm always about being real. There's no way this is not going in that book. Like we got struggles, man. I'm no different than the next guy. I don't give a crap what title you put on someone. It doesn't matter. I'm human. I've got issues. I've got an enemy just like you.
0: Well, and it's, it's good that you put something like that in the book because that's one thing whenever people read these war memoirs you know whether it's from this era of war any past eras of war it's hard for civilians to put themselves in that headspace if they've never done something hard if they've never put themselves through any type of like selection or any type of training like that it's hard for them to even fathom what it was like being in that sand pit on paris island or or being in the sands of coronado or being in the ocean or or being at war all those different things and so you guys become like these these superheroes and there's kind of like this hero worship and i know you you've, you've experience that. You have guys that are just kind of nut swingers that they're just like, Oh my gosh, anything. Yeah. Anything that, that a Navy SEAL does or says, or uh, his EDC is my EDC because you know, I'm, you know, I'm 20% SEAL now because I have the same everyday carry as Clint Emerson or, or someone else like that. And so uh, I think that that's important for you guys to kind of let the facade down a little bit to, to put the mask down a little bit and be like, no, I'm a dude. I've done extraordinary things, but I'm ordinary in the fact that I'm a dude, just like you're a dude Absolutely. and I can overcome in the same way that you can overcome. So I, I'm glad that you put that in the book. So we'll actually, uh, this will be the last question I asked you on the book and then I had a couple other stuff, uh, things before we get you out of here. You go over this in chapter tango. And so I, I feel like for me, at least as I was reading through and knowing what I know about you, I feel like this was a huge moment in your life. So let me read the quote here from that chapter. At some point, I sat down with my dad and flat out asked him if he thought he'd done a good job as a father. I didn't ask the question in order to put him down or challenge him. I asked it because I was struggling as a father and sought his guidance. He didn't hesitate. He simply said, no. I could see the sadness in his eyes. For the record, I think that on the whole, he was a great father and I told him so, but he did have some shortcomings. The very things that my dad had struggled with Drinking, wild behavior, and toxic relationships had all become part of my life. I had become the very thing that I despised, failing where he had failed. I made the decision that I had to break the cycle for the sake of my own kids. I had to step up, had to do better. So I think the first question I asked you about the book was about your father being gone and, and, you know, some of the relationship struggles that he had and, you know, divorces and, you know, his strained relationship with you, even though you still loved him and have, you know, dedicated uh, yourself as his son, uh, you know, to, to making a great life for yourself almost to honor your father. But, but talk to me about that because man, that's a dramatic moment for a son to ask a father that, and for the father to respond in that way. What happened after that conversation? Because I'm sure you didn't just say no and you both moved on with your lives and high-fived and kind of did your own thing. Take me through all that. Why would you ask him? What has it caused you to change
1: moving forward? Yeah. I'm bringing up memories, buddy. Um, Yeah, he was just honest. He's like, no, I immediately said, yeah, I screwed up a lot. I, I did. And my dad, it's always... You can always be traced back generationally if, you know, if we really want to break it down shotgun stylus. His, his parents were the greatest with him. His dad was an alcoholic. A lot of issues that I've learned now, you know, after trying to dig in. Um. No, he was He was just – he was honest, man. He didn't, he's like, yeah, I could have done so much better. He's like, I – and I think I even asked the question. I was like, well, why don't you do it now? Like why aren't you more engaged in – I never really got an answer, and I don't know what the answer is. And I think, I think he's more engaged than his father was. So probably, maybe in his mind, he thinks he's doing a kick butt job. And, and, and real quick, I'm not throwing my dad under the bus. I love my father. Um, it's funny the first time we did Wild at Heart, I'm like, I have no father wounds, <laughs> maybe a couple, um, but no, he, he like he was very, and I and I was just like I don't want my kids. I don't want to I don't want to view I don't want my kids to view me like how I view my father in, in certain ways. And I don't view my dad as a bad person. I just like think he needed some some guidance in the in the fatherly realm, which I think all of us as fathers, if we really want to break it down, we do need some guidance, we need wisdom, we need to beef up this area where we're super strong over here but super weak over here. And I just want my kids to feel that way and and I'm still trying to do right as a father because if we want to look at the crap that's going on in this country. It is fatherless, weak, fatherless homes, right? The invisible father, the father might still come home, but they ain't there. They're checked out. Just like I came back from deployment, man. I was physically there. I was mentally not there. And that's, that's what I believe our homes are filled with across this nation. I really do. And there's some great fathers out there that are freaking money on the spot doing the right thing. I don't want to take away from those guys, but I would say the majority and I say this with confidence because I see it. We see it. Uh, it's not, um, it's not there like it should be, and I'm guilty. I still need to like do better, do more, like hold myself accountable. I talk to my wife about this all the time. Like I need to do more. Okay, we need to do more one-on-ones. We need to do more of this. Um, so I do try to change it, but it's man, it's just like it's not this overnight thing. Ah, I'm a perfect father. It's hard. It is hard. It's very hard. How do I deal with this situation? Everyone's dealing with these situations. All these outside influence, we do this. Well, that works for you, but maybe not for me. Uh, it's a lot to take in, but it's it's like what I always say: is that we don't quit, we keep working. We we get knocked down, we miss that one shot three times in a row. Be quiet! I'm getting back up, and I'm still moving through my obstacle because I'm all in. Period. That's it. Well,
0: and and dads are kind of graded on a curve, and they're graded with other dads in mind. And that's one thing I think that guys should should be. And I say this as a a broad statement because there are some dads that are absolutely evil that have done some horrific things to their kids. Of course. For the most part, you need to give your dad the benefit of the doubt because for me, the things that I haven't liked about my father, and I love my dad, like he's my biggest fan no matter what I do. Like he's always been there for me, but he lost his dad when he was 13 years old. His dad was killed by a drunk driver. And so right when he was learning how to become a man, you know, his dad was taken away from him. And so he taught me from the best of his ability uh, these manhood lessons, most of them that he didn't teach me directly. He taught me, indirectly. And so what I'm trying to do now is take what I learned from my father. And now I'm trying to give direct lessons to my boys. And so that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what a man is. This is what is expected of a man. This is what fathers should do. This is what you will do one day if you want to be a good father. Whereas my dad, again, was very indirect with a lot of that stuff. I'm going to be a little bit more intentional with everything, but you brought up something. So, uh, so again, congratulations on the book. The guys, uh, unafraid will be in the show notes. You can check out the book. You can buy it. Uh, the Amazon link will be there. We'll, we'll be able to get that over to you, but you brought up fatherlessness. So the stats, everybody knows on fatherlessness. If father's not in the home, you know, uh, drug use goes up, grades go down, uh, crime goes up, you know, uh, uh, pregnancies go up and like all, all these other things. It's, it's bad for the most part. And when I mean pregnancies, I mean, it's like little girls getting pregnant or right. little guys getting, you know, girls pregnant and things like that outside of marriage, outside of, uh, any type of, you know, ceremony or or anything like that. And even if dad's just around, even if the dad's crappy, it's always better, but it's, it's usually 10 times better if the dad is involved and actively Mm -hmm. engaged in his kids' lives. And I think you're right. Whenever we talk about these mass shootings, when we talk about these things, it's always uninitiated men. It's these little boys that decided one day that they're men now, or they became men because they can shave all of a sudden, and they don't have power, they don't have direction, they don't have discernment, and the way they get that power is by buying a firearm, and the way they show uh, you know, who they are and they show their strength to society is by shedding the blood of innocent people, and yes, there's some mental health issues that go into that, and we do not deal with mental health well. Um, SSRIs deal with that. Almost every single school shooter has been on some sort of antidepressant, some sort of drug that has altered their brains. But we have not seen an example of that all-American family that went to church together, that the dad didn't have any skeletons in the closet. He was, you know, doting on his boys and showing them how to do things and showing them how to fix stuff. And then that kid one day, this well-adjusted kid just snaps, goes and gets a firearm out of the safe and then shoots up his school. It's always a kid without a dad there. And then you have these adults doing these things. They're, they're, you know, participating in gang violence or drug violence. These are uninitiated fathers that the gang became their their father, uh, you know. A Sicario became their father or someone else that was running drugs became their father. Talk to me a little bit more about that because you spent a lot of your, you know, father fathering of your children gone and you're trying to make up for that on the back end. But why is that so important to us? Why do we need to focus so much more on that as a society?
1: Dude, we can just see where our society's going. It's like we we get this like, well, we're raising our kids, dude. We're developing leaders, we're developing the next generation, the people that are going to continue this to go on. And we've got to pour into them, and, it, and it's it's way more work and uh, joy than I ever thought. Like way more. Like oh, like I'll take you to practice. Like okay, cool. Are you getting down the level? Are you having these conversation? Are we talking about intangible things? Are we talking about how we open the door for a woman? Why do we do that exactly? There's always a why. Like hey, do this. Why? You know, we like because I said so. Okay, no. Okay, that's where we need to pause we need to have that conversation because we need these guys to like pass it on is schools aren't teaching these intangibles. In my opinion, I'm not seeing it from my kids that go to school. Uh, we're definitely not seeing it with the, we watch the news or the stats, you know, that we can judge things off of, but we, there's just not a lot of it. Like how do we treat a woman? How, what is a protector? How are we having compassion yet? We're still fierce. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we John Eldridge uses the freaking Mr. Rogers. And then he shows, you know, Braveheart's character or Gladiator's character or the Patriot's character of like, they can still be, we can still have that medium. Like I'm compassionate for the weak, the people that are getting bullied for the females, but we still need to be fierce. And who's teaching our kids that if it ain't you, it's no one. Actually, it's the guy down the street that's selling drugs. Like you just said, it's the guy that we're black marketing these freaking firearms to other gangbangers to go do whatever they're going to do. That's who it is. I mean, I was just reading a book. I can't remember what it was. Jeffrey Dahmer's dad, uh, I think his name is Lionel, wrote a book about how he, it was like, why? how did this happen? Jeffrey is the one that I think 17 dead, like mutilated them, but they eat their body. Just crazy dude. And he's like, I didn't father my kid. He's like, I was there, but I was not there. Like he admits this. He tells a whole book about how he's taking responsibility for it, for this. He's like, I believe it is my fault for not stepping up and doing this stuff. And, Dude, I think the shooter, uh, the one that just happened July fourth was the same thing, like had no father or or something there's always a yeah. there's always a sorry, like eighty percent of inner city kids are out of wedlock. Eighty percent. There ain't there's no dad. And you want and where did and like you just said, where do they go to find dad? We're all looking for that male figure. Mm-hmm. They go to the gangs because they feel a part of something. They're getting direction. It's not the greatest direction and it leads to other crime. In bodily injury to other people, but they're going to find it somewhere. Like you just said, a firearm, and they're going to use that evil for bad. So they're going to find it somewhere. So it's either you give it to them the right way or they're going to get it the bad way. And you're going to start scratching your head. How did this happen? Good looking.
0: yeah, absolutely. And something you said early in the podcast is like how you try to be the apple in your father's eye. Like that was something that Eldritch talked about in Wild at heart and you try to prove yourself. Uh, one way that I heard it described recently, Jordan Peterson was talking about in a podcast or in an interview is competence. You're trying to prove your competence uh, in something. And let's say, uh, you, you weren't a, you know, a kid, you know, you weren't a good athlete. You're not a good student. You're kind of a wallflower. You, you know, you're maybe you're an involuntary celibate. Like you've got, you, you don't have very much luck with the ladies, which I'm describing a lot of these school shooters. And it's like, This is something that they can be competent at. They can show the world how strong and competent they are all in one dramatic moment, right? And if they die at the end of it, in their mind, it's even better, right? It doubles the impact because then they Mm -hmm. don't have to deal with the consequences on the back end. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you as well, Eddie, is just in general about manhood and manliness inside the church. I think this has to do with the fatherless uh, issue and those types of things. But yeah, I know. Yeah, you're smirking. I think I know where you're going to go because you know where I'm going to go with this. But obviously, um, you know, part of the reason why I've done so much in this in this area is because I feel like those guys that are rough around the edges, those typically masculine dudes walk into the church, they see a bunch of soft dudes and they're like, yeah, this isn't my crowd. This isn't my, these aren't my people. I'm going to go to the range. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that. Yeah, exactly. You're well, raising me. your hand. Um, and so for you you check a lot of the typical uh masculine boxes, right? You're in the military, you're an elite level warrior, you lift weights, you have tattoos, you know how to shoot, like you have good luck with the women, like you, you drink, like all those typical things, like the caricature masculinity things, you check the boxes. But I know that you're a guy that would say, No, those things don't make me a man. Those are just things that I do. But You wouldn't say I'm a man because I do all these cool things. I eat meat. I drive four wheel drive trucks. I like beef jerky, that type of thing. But talk to me a little bit about that because there's still a struggle and I'm doing everything I can to swing the pendulum to where churches focus on the men. They don't just tolerate them. They don't just deal with the women and children and hope the guy shows up, but making sure that they create from the inside out this atmosphere where men know that they are not just welcome, but that they are needed. So go with that wherever you want to go.
1: Yeah. I I think there's, this is such a long conversation. There's so many aspects that go into this. It kind of goes back how Women are treated men because we want that respect and we don't get that respect. We feel belittled and that boldness just kind of leaves, which it needs to be there. So I always If I'm asked what a man is, what I think is it's the crossroads of compassion and fierceness is I need to, when it is time to help, which I mentioned, help the weak to be there for my daughters, to be there for my wife. I need to have compassion. I need to empathize. I need to control my emotions. I need to be there for them. It doesn't mean I'm a weak being. It doesn't mean I can't freaking go in two seconds and go crazy. We can look at Jesus walking to the temple, flipping over tables. Two seconds later, he's picking up doves. I mean, that 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 just shows it, right? It's beautiful. Like, I am fierce. But at the same time, when it's time to go back, you're fluctuating. I think we fluctuate. But I think a lot of us are missing that fierce piece. We're afraid to protect. We cower down. There was a – and here's an example. It might not be the greatest example, but it's an example – when Trump and Biden were running, they did a poll. 63% of Americans were afraid to give their political affiliation because they're afraid of what the other side is going to say. What right. is that about? Why do you care? 63%. We have some weak people. I'm sorry. It's We have some weak people that need to find their – okay, we have some strong people that are very weak that need to find their strength plain and simple that's all it is to it like people are afraid to even do a post oh they'll say this they're afraid to go try jujitsu oh my gosh i'm going to get cho- like dude get out of your comfort zone and we are just and we can see it as society we're, we're we're flashing rainbows we're flashing you shouldn't do this you should you know you should be like this or you're telling us how we should be that's not how you're made bro that's not how you're freaking made. You're, you're created to be the hero of your story, going back to John Eldridge, and, and you were created to be a warrior. We are a warrior. Warriors don't mean you just go through the crowd with battle axes and start taking off heads. Now, there's a time for that, mm-hmm. but there's also a time where you're still a warrior for your family. You're being present. You're making sure they get what they need, both, like you said, T-I-M-E, right, getting that time. They're getting you're providing. You're doing all those things. And yes, it's a big job. Yes, it's overwhelming. But guess what? It's the only one that you're really created for is being there. And that's it. And and I think the church, if I could be completely honest, is extremely weak when it comes to that. I've noticed that as I go through church through the years and the years, We always talk about love. We talk about hope. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about grace. And all those things are very wonderful. Those are great things. Those are amazing. They're extremely important. But we're missing the the fierceness. We need to stand up. We have an enemy. There's a spiritual warfare. You need to be proactive. You need to fight. You need to be on guard. Shields up. Swords drawn. We're missing that. We're missing that. Somebody says something against your faith. You're afraid to talk back because because you're afraid of a, like a a, a confrontation, like, who are you? Like, what is this? So yes, I don't, I don't agree a hundred percent with Christianity. Now is it all like that? No, absolutely not. But the majority I would say probably so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's why an undaunted life, Equipping men to push back darkness. That's why we're here. And if you don't have that boldness, you won't be able to push back against the darkness. If you have not trained to recognize when darkness is around you, you will not be ready to respond to it. And also, it's this idea, like you kind of brought it up uh, with compassion and fierceness. It's the tender warrior mindset, right? It's it's meekness rightly described. So me people think of meek as weak, and I've talked about this a lot. Meekness is having Basically, the the capability of, of violence and strength, but you keep it under voluntary control. It's knowing how to use a sword, but leaving it sheathed until you need to pull it out of the sheath. It's this overwhelming focus on the Lamb of God and completely ignoring the line of Judah. People get really uncomfortable when I talk about that. They're like, oh, you want us to ignore the Lamb of God? I was like, no, I, I want people to understand both. Because you don't get a full grasp of who Jesus Christ is if you only look at him as Jesus Christ, meek and mild, cool, hippie. That's all you know, we show. Dude, That's dude all guy. we show. Right. That's and all so we show. Like, right. We need, to, we need people to understand the line of Judah. We need to understand that, yes, he came full of grace and truth. That truth piece is the part that really, really hurts our feelings, right? And it's like, well, it's not, there is no truth. There, There's there's my truth and your truth, right? Like, I, am I doing this right? Do I get my woke cookies? And so that's kind of the circumstance sort of <laughs> that a lot of us kind of put ourselves in. But but Eddie, we, we've talked about a lot in this conversation. We've gone everywhere. Again, the book is amazing, but I do want to give you a little bit of a, a time here to have your own little commercial. You've got a lot of things going on uh, that my audience would potentially be interested in. So I know you got a lot of
1: different businesses. So tell us what you got going on. Kyle, there's so much right now. I have no clue. <laughs> you have a
0: clue? Come on, I know. I uh, no, I got.
1: We got a risk mitigation company called Contingent Group that we do customized security for individuals, corporations, domestic and internationally. So we have that going on. That's been going on for about 13 years now. Uh, started the Unafraid brand, which is at eddiepenny.com. So we got to store some gear and kind of just filling people with like faith. Um, we got. It's called the Den. Faith. Workouts because I think I, I, my 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 pillars are faith, family, fitness, and fun. I think we need to have those four um, always to to keep things and put those layers of freaking protection around us as we're going through life. Uh, so, but we have a thing called the Den, and you you know you subscribe to that, and we talk about stuff. People kind of jump in when they want to put your workouts up there, nutrition, talk about faith. It's a, it's kind of like I hate saying this, but like a safe place to like talk about things. Like, like-minded individuals, like, hey, he, I, this has bo- been bothering me, I need this. Or like, hey, here's a challenge, let's do this challenge. Or somebody, I need to be held accountable, I want to lose 20 pounds, you know, in the next two years or whatever it is. Okay, cool, let's let, throw up your workouts, let's check them out, let's see what we got. Hey, try this. So it's just a community built around each other to help each other out. And then got the Unafraid Podcast with my co-author, uh, Keith Wood uh that's awesome got a new it's funny you're talking about concealed carry we've got a new EDC one coming out um I think next week or the week after and then they got the pennies podcast with my wife so we do a podcast with her and that that's like that is such great bonding time love that and then we're gonna start we're starting on our next book which is gonna be a mindset book so it's good we got a lot of stuff going man it's fun
0: so you're bored. You don't really have a whole lot of things to do. Like you're just kind of sitting around that uh, wins my next jujitsu practice, but yeah. And even on your yeah, website, right. yeah, you've got gear on there. Look, my, my pen's running out of ink and you got a tactical pen on your website. So not only could you write with it, you could stab, stab somebody. somebody with it. Yes. You can take a window out if you're drowning or something like that. So you got a lot of gear in there, but Eddie, again, as always, I appreciate you coming on the show. You know that you've always got an open invitation to come on here and talk about whatever you want to, but that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
1: No, buddy, I appreciate it. It was freaking awesome, and I dig the lion behind your head right there. That freaking is awesome. I love it. Oh, I love always it. Always keeping
0: it. me company, baby. All it, right, baby. Eddie Penny, thank, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life of Man's podcast.
1: Thanks, Kyle.
0: There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the second and last part of this interview with Eddie Penny. But before I let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And, guys, do not forget to support the sponsor of today's show. That is KC Cattle Company. Go to kccattlecompany.com That's kccattlecompany.com And use the promo Kyle to get 15% off your order. Again, that's the promo code. It's just my first name, Kyle, that's K Y L E, for 15% off of your order at Company.com. So, again, the links. Just like yesterday, we've got a link to his book where you can go to Amazon and get the uh, the hardcover version of Unafraid. You can also get a couple of other versions there. I've got a link to Eddie's website, a link to con- Contingent Group's website, and then I've also got a link to his other appearances on this show. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way just go to www.undaunted.life and as always we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music for our content the music on this podcast is their song cutting the ties which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah